Welcome to Anomalous, a beauty podcast about beauty, life, and what it means to all of us. My name is Swati. And I'm Anjana. So today on the podcast, we have Sean Lazarus. Sean, you want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> Sean, why don't you um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, listeners, I should say. Perfect. So, oh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, so, I am 28. I, I guess I'll start with my age. I currently live in Boston. Um, and I used to live a majority of my life in Dubai. Um, so, I think between the ages of 5 and 24, I was in Dubai, came to Boston for grad school. Um and then just sort of settled here. Uh, did job one, two, and three here. I'm on the third one in Boston. I uh, have tons of family in Chicago, so I go back and forth. And uh, this time when I was m- visiting them, I actually got to meet you, which was amazing. And so... Um, yeah. But we've although, been friends for a really long oh, time, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing, right? So uh, there is some truth to online friendships and keeping that uh, lit. Because let me tell you, most of the time, uh, especially what I do with the Internet, mostly uh, just for fun, right? But I think we've, we've known each other since, what, 2007? Oh, my God. Has it really been that long? I think, it, I think it really has. And I think we both started on the uh, microblogging platform just wasting our lives away. But yes. I think Tumblr, we right? just Tumblr. And we mm-hmm. both appreciated each other's aesthetic. Um, and then we were just sort of in each other's um, e-social lives, I-, I would say. And then... Um, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, like we we were we were always in each other's spaces uh, on Instagram or on Twitter or um, on Facebook, and so I was always sort of aware of what you were doing. Uh, you also sort of got my life story for what I was doing, and I'm an oversharer mm-hmm. on the internet. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it, it's fascinating to see how a relationship like this can. Uh, de- develop and not I everything on the internet is bad and scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I think about the internet as a bad and scary place anymore. I remember, you know, like when you start off getting to know someone on the internet, especially like Tumblr, where they're everybody's pretty transparent about their interests and their views and everything, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. it is kind of like a, a like a sacred place away from your real life. Um, so everybody's pretty authentic. And then if we click on the Internet, then we end up becoming mutuals in other places like Twitter. And, and then I think Instagram kind of took all of that and kind of, you know, cultivated another place for all of us to meet. And now all the Tumblr people are on Instagram. Yeah, I do agree. And I think I think especially with Tumblr, um, I don't think any of us realized that um, – we would essentially be using Tumblr for socializing. I think I think Tumblr changed. I, I think um, initially we were really in it to just sort of interact with people, ask each other questions, uh, really engage in our own communities. And for me, it was, uh, you know, either the LGBT community or uh, just books I loved, 
I think initially when I came onto Tumblr, I came onto Tumblr because I actually joined um, a group that was really into watching soccer. And so the first oh, version of my blog, which is strange because I'm not a person who's like a crazy soccer fan, but mm-hmm. um, I had friends who were crazy um, and in love with these football players. And I was like, you know what? If, if I have to join a fandom, why not? And so I, they introduced me to Tumblr. And then pretty much it, uh, my first introduction to Tumblr was just gifs of um, football players running around. And then I was like, okay, I really don't know if there's anything in this for me. And then I um, just followed a bunch of people who talked, um, who basically posted about movies, um, comic books, fashion, um, beauty stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and that's how I realized, oh, my God, it's like tons of communities. It's tons of um, these little micro universes um, that you could follow and just get inspired by. And... But then I yeah, think later absolutely. on it just became sort of X-rated Pinterest uh, <laughs> at some point, or that might just be my feed. <laughs> that's, that's so uh, I think you know, I think I don't know about you, but Tumblr definitely gave me, like, you know, me as maybe I think I might have been maybe one of the older dramatic demographics in Tumblr, so I was probably like. I don't know, 1920-ish when I got Tumblr. And uh, so, you know, I was like an Indian girl in Kansas, and so there wasn't a lot of people who were weird. I think of myself as a weird Indian girl, and so if you live in a community that already has a small population of brown people, then weirdness isn't really something that's cultivated or encouraged or, you know, it's just like – you can be whitewashed or you can be exotic, right? You can't, you can't be oh, like, of course, like, yeah. a, like a weird Indian girl, right? Yeah. And I was just always I, into art. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Um, I was just, uh, you know, thinking about that. For me, it was slightly different because I grew up in essentially the Middle East, although I, I would literally call Dubai the Las Vegas of the Middle East. Uh, we have <laughs> our definitely looks like it. It, it. it sure is. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of the time when I talk about my experience about Dubai, I, I, I talk about growing up in a vacuum. And so the Internet was where I did a lot of my exploring, you know. Uh, I mean, think about having your media curated and censored. Think about a place where you didn't have access to real-time American TV because we would get um, all the American TV shows probably um, six months to a year later from when the actual air date was uh, because they would go through a process of censorship and uh, heavy edits to have them be aired over to our cable networks. So was um, Tumblr also, like, censored or no? No. So up until – and I I really don't know what what the state of Tumblr is now in Dubai, but um, everything was blocked. So Blogspot, everything on Blogspot was blocked, and I used to run a Blogspot before I actually got introduced to Tumblr – so Tumblr was really one of the only few avenues where a lot of the people who I knew 
uh, in Dubai could actually explore. And I actually met a lot of people in Dubai, like internet friendships that happened wow. within Dubai. Yeah, just because, I mean, it's what you said, right? I mean, you meet people you have some kind of connection with, I think because it was also a safe space where we all knew that we were around the same age. Uh, we knew there was no, like, this um, great um creepy old guy in the shadows just on Tumblr. It just felt like a very new and in thing that the kids were using. And so whenever I did meet people, I felt com- like absolutely comfortable. And so yeah. um some of my uh, like greatest friends are from Tumblr. I yeah. met someone when I moved to Chicago who I knew through Tumblr that, you know, was like we were like mutual follows. And I was in her, like, I went to her wedding earlier this year. Oh, and wow, it's yeah. It's crazy, yeah. It it, tr- it truly is. And so uh, I think um, I, I, I completely get what you're trying to say. I mean, for me, it wasn't about being whitewashed so much uh, because Dubai does have a very strong Indian community. And so it really wasn't about fitting in. But I think what I was all careless down in the south, uh, both my parents are from Kerala. Uh, although uh, my I'm dad, sorry. we don't have enough Kerala representation anywhere, so it's I, I really know, right? exciting. <laughs> and it gets interesting too because um, I, I sort of have represent, representation in my family from all over the south because my dad's entire family, um, like generations back, moved to Bangalore. And um, so, like, their uh, ancestral home is in Bangalore. And similar story with my mom. Her, uh, like, generations back, they moved the family to um, Madras, now Chennai. Um, and um, and so when I would actually go down to India on my three-month uh, vacation, summer vacations, I would actually have to visit all three places. So I I would start off with Bangalore and then Madras and then visit Kerala. So it would be one month in each place almost. And and I think because of that, and I've been doing this for years, I think I had, uh, I went to India every year uh, for about three months between the ages of five to um, 23. Um, And, um, it was so good because I just got a very holistic feel for what the South was. Because I think even though um, a lot of people go to India, they, they tend to, and even Indians, I'm not even talking about the general tourist population, right? But I think we tend to stick to our own communities, or even when we travel, we tend to hit the hotspots, right? We go to Mumbai, we go to Delhi, we might do Bangalore because, it's a metropolitan city, or um, we might do Kerala because it's, um, it, you know, you want to get on a houseboat or you want to see the waterfalls and you want to, uh, ex- uh, like, sort of explore the kind of coastal cuisine. But it's usually you cherry pick what you want to do in, in South India or even in the north. Um, yeah. But I, I got a holistic idea of what South India was about, um, what the languages were like, what the food was like, what the practices were like, just because I had exposure to this at a very young age. Again, completely knew nothing about the North. 
uh, was uh, I actually went uh, to Delhi for the first time in 2008, and my first uh, um, my first sort of thought that just emerged was, oh my God, the North might as well be a completely different planet to what I've known or perceived India as, because it really is. Oh, absolutely. Just so yeah, yeah, it's uh, very different. Even culturally, it's very different, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think we tend to, especially in India, we tend to work along the lines of, um, I, I, I say that it's three things usually. It's um, religion, it's um, state, and then it's, um, you, uh, you, what, religion, state. And there was one thing that I always say, you know, we, we always say, oh, it's like, we sort of can get an idea of what an Indian is like if you know what religion they practice. Oh, language, right? So state and language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm from Kerala, so I am a Keralite who um, is a Roman Catholic, um, and I, 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 my mother tongue is Malayalam, right? But then when you think about my mom, my mom is in Madras, but speaks her her um, so she identifies herself as someone who was born and brought up in Tamil Nadu. Like she will never associate herself with Kerala, and she's very proud of that. Um, but she speaks her mother tongue still remains Malayalam. Uh, she speaks Tamil fluently. In fact, she speaks Tamil better than Malayalam, um, and she's a Roman Catholic too. So even within my family, we sort of have um, the uh, you know the three things are not the same. Uh, because my dad was brought up in Bangalore, much more comfortable speaking, uh, Telugu and, um, Kannada. Uh, not really, uh, that confident with Malayalam. He is a practicing Roman Catholic. Um, but, y- you know, it, it, we, we all have, uh, something unique, which I think is so strange in my family. So I can't even imagine what, uh, you know, that set of three is like for someone up north, where yeah. even though you, even though I might find a counterpart um, who is Roman Catholic up in the north, but the the practices in the state, the cultural beliefs and um, sort of nuances make you a completely different person where your right. thought processes. And I think that really hit home when I traveled to Delhi, because up until then, I was like, oh, I have India figured out. Um but then when I went to uh, uh, Delhi, Rajasthan, um, and I sort of did the Golden Triangle, so I was being super touristy up there. <laughs> I've done that, too. Um, I was like, oh, God, it's a completely different world. It's The architecture is different. The stories are different. The, the Even the way they drape the sari is different. The choice of materials are different. The, you know, the concept of, um, um, I think... More or less, the concept of family remains the same, but I think the way you socialize, the way you do things is completely different. And I think the aspect of that was drilled down um, much more into my heart and soul when, um, for the first time, we had a a Gujarati enter our family uh, as uh, a sister-in-law for me. So one of my cousins got married to a lovely uh, Gujarati girl who's born and brought up in America, but but still culturally Gujarati. And so that wedding was such a huge explosion of 
dance and I think music. Weddings, yeah, weddings are yeah. a good way of, of, of like a microcosm of how different the cultures are, right? Like Truly, South Indian yeah. weddings versus North Indian weddings are so different. Oh, 100%. And there you had on the right side of the ballroom uh, a group of terrified-looking Malayalis or like, wait, what we what, we have to garba now? Uh, that's not a thing we do. <laughs> and they were... <laughs> And then, and then, especially I always say like Catholic weddings in, um, Kerala are so square. I mean, we're, we're in, in the church for a one hour ceremony. We're out. The parents are just worried that everyone's being fed on time. It's just a mad rush to get the, uh, girl from her white sari to, um, something that she's going to change into for the reception. Before you know it, it's over. No one really looks happy. And then, there's this mad rush to take pictures at the end of it with all the guests. And, so every um, wedding that I've gone to in India, in South India, there's been no dancing. So dancing is an American right? concept and a North Indian concept, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if I've just been going to, like, weddings that have no dancing or there is no dancing in South Indian. No, it's not, a South, it's not an innately South Indian thing to have uh, dance incorporated into your festivities. Uh, mm-hmm. I have been to some, um, uh, like Tamil Brahmin weddings and, um, uh, like other, like, um, Telugu Brahmin weddings. And there is a lot of, um, fun incorporated into the rituals, uh, through games or, um, or, you know, other things. But it's never dancing, right? It's the, the fun aspect of it is never music and dancing. Right. Well, yeah. I know we can talk about this all the whole day. I want to switch a little bit to beauty. Yes, um, please do. Yes. So we're very excited that you've been using Skin Splash and that you really like it. But I don't want to talk about Skin Splash. I want to talk about more so, like, when did you first become aware of the concept of beauty? Like, how old were you? What happened? Lead me through it. I think um I think I would have to like uh, you you mentioned sort of what you would be asking me in this and so so I did have some time to think about it but I think the first idea of beauty really um came about because of my mom right my mom was very um focused on following a skincare routine and as a kid I never really understood any of it because I myself did not partake in um in anything related to beauty uh uh the only thing i came close to was benzoyl peroxide for my acne but uh <laughs> but apart from We've that all been there uh yeah apart from that uh i i just hated the concept of having stuff on me or even moisturizer because um, again you have to think about this i was in dubai uh extreme temperatures right like in the summer it goes up to 108 it's uh extremely humid our uh, our middle summers are extremely humid i'm talking like 89 percent humidity and above it's extremely uncomfortable and so i'm a person who generally runs warm and um me sweating having things on my face never really made me extremely happy and so when I would see my mom do this, and she had very dry skin, and so she always used to say, I need to take care of my dry skin because at some point it's going to crack and be messy when I get old. And um, she was very sort of 
um, ritualistic about her approach. And I think, if anything, the one thing that stood out for me was not really what she used or um, how long it took. I think it was the aspect of the ritual of self-care or the ritual of beauty and and just the fact that this was something that she did every morning and every night and um, it was something that was a part of her day. And so I really like the aspect of that because I think even now the one thing that I really enjoy is having little rituals for myself, right? Be it, have, be it like preparing a cup of tea or reading a book or just my commute in the morning. So I think the idea of beauty for me, like, is still a fun concept for me now because there's an element of that um, ritual to it. That's very cool. I think uh, similar for me, too, there's something calming and, like, just bookending your day a little bit of anything that happens in between. There's this the beginning and the end is always the same. And I think as humans, we crave structure and habits and rituals because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel like we're in control. So self-care is is a huge part of that too. And I think there's something about skincare that makes it feel like you're putting the energy back into yourself, that you're, you're investing not only in sleep, but you're investing in who you are going to be in the morning. Right. Right. Yeah, and although initially when I when I went on my own skincare journey, I did start it because I enjoyed the ritual. It took me a long time to actually perfect the regimen in such a way where I actually started seeing results, right? Because I did have very problematic skin, and at one point, so it, tell me, you know, a little bit oh. about your problematic skin and what your what your regimen is now and what you figured out works for you. Right. Um, so I have. Um, very oily skin. I have very oily skin, uh, prone to acne. Um, and I used to get acne all over my forehead, uh, cheeks and the sides of my face. Nowhere else. Uh, the rest of my body dry as a bone. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I always used to say and joke as a kid that you could essentially, um, you know, I, my face produced so much oil that you could essentially deep fry something with it. And uh, as disgusting as that sounds, that was my main pain point. I was always super shiny. I was um, very – zero confidence uh, with how I presented myself to the world because I had acne all over my face. And then um, benzoyl peroxide helped. I mean, I was never put on any kind of medication because my dermatologist never felt like I needed it. It wasn't that bad, but for me, it was bad enough to uh, to actually change the way I behaved in front of people, where I would um, maybe sort of, like, shy away from responsibility or standing up in class or, you know, doing various sort of things just because I felt like, yeah, I, I'm not having a good skin day today. I, I've had it. And so um, I started seeing effects with benzoyl peroxide. But then, you know, the winters would come, my skin would be sort of, slightly clearer again, still remained oily. Um, and then in the summer, the acne would be back, right? It would be aggravated, it would be patchy, it would be all over the place. Um, Have you noticed a difference from, like, living in Dubai versus, you know, in Boston for your skin? Not really. Now that I've traveled back and forth, um, 
now that I've maintained my skincare routine and sort of add things and minus things depending on, you know, changes in the weather and where I am, I I I've I pretty much perfected the sort of uh, balance my skin needs. Um, so I don't think the environment really matters at this point because I know how to tackle it. Um, mm. And that's that's where things have changed, right? So now what I never used to do before was moisturize. And then I realized that as long as my skin was being moisturized, that it wouldn't be overproducing oil. And I think that was the biggest breakthrough I had. Um, and as a person, you think it's like logically counterproductive, right? Why right? do you add yeah. more oil to get rid of oil? Yeah. yeah. So I totally get it. And my skincare also changed the moment I realized that. Yeah, I know. It's like just incorporating a simple moisturizer made so much of a difference. And what I realized, and what actually started happening, and it wasn't that someone was telling me what to do. It was just that, one, I was like, oh, you know what? I should try and moisturize just as a part of a ritual. And so I would moisturize once a day. And I usually did this at night uh, just because I didn't want to be out in the sun with moisturizer on because I also hated the thought of putting on an SPF. So I did it at night. And then what I actually noticed was that I woke up with better-looking skin, but also that I was reaching less for the benzoyl peroxide. I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's, you know, something to that. And initially I just, I was like, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's just that, you know, I'm growing out of it. Maybe I'm just finally growing out of that phase. Mm-hmm. But I did test that because I went to India and I forgot my favorite moisturizer. Could not replace it in India. That three months where I wasn't moisturizing my face, miserable. It was miserable. It was really. It was horrible, and I realized how much of an effect just a simple and I think it was like a twelve dollar face moisturizer, nothing fancy, um, and it made all the difference. I think, and I mean, even at the level of like like a protective barrier over your skin, right, where yeah, pollutants yeah. and like dust and bacteria in the air isn't coming in, that itself does wonders. And then you add the actual moisturizing properties and the skin benefits on top of it, and it's just like it changes everything. Yeah. And then that's when I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I should make my um, skincare regimen sort of like my mom's. So my mom had a three-step skincare um, routine, heavily influenced by Clinique's three-step routine. She wasn't a big fan of the Clinique product, so she had – our, our own set of things. So she had a, um, a moisturizer that she used. She, I think it was a Shiseido. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and there's mm-hmm. a funny story behind that because when, um, in 93, when Dubai got, um, Shiseido, the sales, uh, girl, like we all went there. Um, I remember it was a group of my friends, my aunts and my mom. And we were just browsing around our version of Sephora. It wasn't Sephora. It was something else. Um, and uh, this lady was like, oh, we have something new from Japan. And then she just lifted this little tub and she was like, Shishido. And <laughs> for the longest time, I just kept pronouncing it uh, as Shishido until one of my Asian friends here was like, what are you saying? That's not a thing. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well. Fine. So it took me like a good 20 years to have that corrected. And I still say it wrong sometimes. But yeah, she had a moisturizer um, from Shiseido. She had 
um, like a, like just a simple toner that she used from I think Lancome. It started off as something that she got with a gift with purchase kind of thing, and then she just got the whole thing. And um, she had a cleanser, which was a drugstore cleanser. Um, I, I think it was like a French drugstore that we had in Dubai. So she had like these um, uh, Parisian sort of pharmacy uh, staples that she always had on her. Um, and then I was like, ooh, I'm just going to start using my mom's products. So I used those three. Um, uh, she hated the fact that I was using her expensive moisturizer. So I got a $12 <laughs> moisturizer for myself <laughs> the next time I went to the drugstore. And I started seeing huge results. I, I, I think my skin was just better. It just felt better. It, it uh, reacted better to the elements. It um, less prone to acne, less oily. And um, I think I really kicked it up a notch when I got my first job where I was like, ooh, maybe I'm going to splurge a bit. And then it became more about you know, just adding things for the fun of it. It was trying new products. It was, um, I, I love packaging. It's not even just about beauty. It's just, um, anything that comes in a pretty package, I will buy it. Uh, the whole don't judge a book by its cover it does not, that's not a thing I subscribe to. If it's a beautiful cover, I will buy it. If it's beautifully packaged, I will buy it. Um, but it, it, it's, it, I started really enjoying the process of shopping for products, for shopping for skincare. And um, through that process, I sort of had this tried and uh, tested bunch of things that I know works. So mm-hmm. right now. Like now, oh. yeah, now in, in your like more, I would say, like advanced understanding of your skin and skincare in general, do you face any challenges now? Um, now it's just a matter of, um, really predicting what my skin needs when I travel. You know, it's not about the product so much as I really don't want to be the person who carries a, like, uh, uh, you know, a ton worth of just toiletries, especially because I travel with a light carry-on and, when I realized that three-fourths of my carry-on is just a bunch of beauty products, which probably Listen, when it let comes me, to... <laughs> let me tell you a travel hack, because you already know that I am that person, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm that person. <laughs> so I I have beauty products, uh, like skincare and makeup. So I took my ass to the Muji store in New York when I went to New York recently. Have you ever been to oh, Muji? Love Muji. Love Muji. Love, love. I was able to take, like, a two-bag, big bag of skincare and makeup and consolidate it into, like, a very small pouch. And so everything is in a travel-sized container. Like, one of these days I'll send you a picture, but it's, like, it's changed my life. Now I can do a full face of makeup and full skincare anywhere, like, in a cab, on a plane, anywhere. I mean, that's, is it just because you sort of use those tiny little, not disposable, but like refillable bottles or like yeah, jars? Yeah, so I, I got a couple of, for skincare, I got a couple of those refillable bottles um, that I can put moisturizer stuff in, essences, skin mist, and then, you know, like uh, 
pumps for moisturizer, little tubs for creams. So, yes, everything in a small bottle. But then even for the makeup, I got this, like, um, stackable tub of um, containers where you can Ooh, put, like, smart. Yeah. six of them. Yeah, six of them in there, and they, you know, turn into this small tube. So just they just have so many different – I mean, I wish I was being, like, paid by Muji to, like, advertise them like this, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not. But I, they just have, like, so many small things, and then they have pouches that go well together. So it's just, just like, a magical place if you love organization. Oh, I, I love Muji. I think, I think just the aesthetics of it, but also they have yes. some really good products. They do. Yeah. So, well, I, Sean, I, this has been really great. Wait, go ahead. I did not mean to interrupt you. Oh, sorry. I wasn't sure if we were running um, close to time, but I, I just thought I would tell you what my current skincare routine is like. Yes, please tell me about your current skincare routine. So I start off with um, a light essence, and I, I switched that out. So at, at this point, it's Innisfree, so it's a Korean brand, which I use for an essence, and then on top of that, I do a toner. Um, and then sometimes I do, like, do you know the seven skin method? Which one? Which is, like, you take an essence or a toner and then dab it onto your face, like, seven yes. times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is, sounds insane, but... <laughs> But it's so hydrating, and sometimes I'm just like, why not? So I do You know, estheticians, they um, encourage that you use a toner after every step. Really? uh Uh-huh. So what estheticians will say is – sorry, I had to cough. Okay. So what estheticians will say is that once you wash your face, um, you need to tone your face, Okay. And then toning for me, what I like to do is with a cotton pad because yeah. it just kind of, you know, helps close all the pores without, all, but also um, removing external debris. So mm-hmm. after you wash your face, then you tone, then you exfoliate, and then you tone, then you mask, Ooh. and then you tone, right? And mm-hmm. then you, after the mask and you wash that off, you tone again. And then you do your essence, and then you get thicker at, in terms of consistency. So you'll do your serums, your ampules, um, your, uh, like, anti-aging stuff, and then creams, and then oil. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I sort of do a combination of things that you just described based on what my skin needs. So, for mm-hmm. example, like, now it's gotten colder in Boston, so... Um, the, it, it's actually like a cold wind and the, like, it's just sucked all the moisture out of the air. So what mm-hmm. I usually do is just do, like, I'll cleanse, I'll do all of that, I'll, I'll do my whole cleansing regimen. Also, I've, I've stopped using, like, soapy cleansers. I, I've started using, like, jelly cleansers or, um, uh, like, squalene based cleansers. Just because I think they're a lot more milder on my skin, and I really don't miss the soap. I feel like it does a great job anyway. I so, can't think of any reason for anyone to use foaming soapy cleansers because, right? Like, I, yeah, I guess people even with oily skin shouldn't be using soapy cleansers. People with dry skin definitely shouldn't be using soapy cleansers. Yeah, and I think if anything, it's just 
improved um, the texture of my skin. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a lot less irritated. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot less – I used to do, have this thing where later on uh, in my life, it wasn't so much oily, but it was, like, dry com- – I mean, it was oily combination. So, like, for example, the sides of my face used to get super dry, and I still had a very oily T-zone. And so um, as soon as I switched to, like, a squalene or, like, a jelly cleanser, so I I actually use the milk jelly cleanser by Glossier now. Uh, But before, I just used to use the ordinary squalene cleanser, which is, like, I think $8 or something. And I I just realized that I didn't have that combination problem anymore. Like, the size of my face wasn't too dry, um, a lot more even, um, sort of distribution of moisture, like just generally on my skin. So I really like uh, those kind of cleansers now. And so yeah, after I think that, the soapy ones they like strip the moisture, and when you're adding it back on, it's not really the same, right? Yeah, I think so too. I think you you're 100 percent right about that. Um, just because I've, I've literally seen the difference in the way my skin reacts to the smell, and I still get the same effective, you know, clean skin. Like, I, I don't miss the sort of squeaky clean kind of dry uh, aspects of what um, – I, I like the fact that my skin is still bouncy and it, it doesn't feel, um, like, almost papery. You, you know what I mean? Because there is a different yeah. texture to your skin right after you use a soapy cleanser. And um, it's completely different when you use a non-soapy cleanser. Um, but yeah, right after that, I usually follow it up with um, a toner. So for a long time, I used to use uh, Kiehl's Calendula uh, toner, which was like that little yellow liquid with a bunch of like petals, like, which I'm assuming are calendula petals. Um, I, I really like that a lot. Uh, but then I started, I replaced that with um, an Aesop toner, which is the B&T balancing toner, which I love. I love it because it has this kind of very faint herbal smell, but it's also not like a super um, a kind of acidic toner. It's more of a toner with some kind of oil, I feel, in it, or it's more the feeling that I get where... As soon as I tone, it almost feels like I've added some kind of moisturizing element to it, which is strange because all the other toners I've used usually strip away moisture. The Aesop one, along with a few of the other Korean ones I've used, is it, it really changed the toner game for me. And then um, right while I have my skin sort of still dewy from the toner, I actually do the um, hyaluronic acid. So I, I use the Ordinary again. It's super cheap, super effective. Um, and then I actually do uh, sort of these aerosol just like face mist. I used to use the Evian one, but now I just literally get a spray bottle <laughs> from like Amazon, fill that up with tap water, and just do that on my face. Um, wow. Just so that the the hyaluronic acid has something to cling to because it does take moisture from the air. So um, what I quickly started seeing was that 
everything that I just put on my face, right? The toner, the essence, if I do an essence that day, um, also any light serums I have on, moisturizing serums, immediately sort of get soaked up by the hyaluronic acid and just, I think it sort of does the thing where it seeps into your skin. So I'll actually like just stand in front of my mirror and see my skin drying up. But it's not a unpleasant kind of dry, um, dryness. It leaves your skin matte, but it retains the moisture. And then over that, just to seal all that, I just put on a very lightweight moisturizer. Um, and I tried so many. Um, uh, but uh, I generally choose one that is uh, super light, um, super um, like a gel moisturizer, and just calming just because those are the kind of ones that work the best for me. Sometimes in the winter, I will choose a heavier sort of moisturizer just because I think my skin needs it. Um, and I haven't experienced any breakouts or – so I really think even for oily skin, over-moisturizing is not a thing. I think it's more about just what kind of products actually seep into your skin because there are products that I've used that tend to just – become a layer on your face and those are the worst kinds of moisturizers where it really doesn't seep in yeah it's just surface hydration but it doesn't penetrate and so yeah i think the molecules in those moisturizers are that are bigger than the your the your cells and so there's no way for them to like get into the deeper layers of the epidermis Oh, yeah, and those kind of products are an immediate sale for me because they just mimic the symptoms of what oily skin looked like for me in high school. Um, mm-hmm. And so a huge check for me, regardless of whether it's like an aloe-based gel moisturizer or even if it's like a slightly heavier one, I use a Kiehl's one before this. I also use, I think, um, I think the label is the Mandarin Facial cream that's also by Aesop and it's a, it's a heavier formula but it immediately seeps onto the skin uh, or seeps into the skin and so it doesn't make my skin feel horrible and then I do another layer of just a fine just water mist like either bottled water uh, bottled water is something bougie it's usually tap water uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah just just to seal it all in and so what I've started doing is actually incorporating a lot of um, just skin splash in my routine where I would otherwise use the essences or the basically tap water mix. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. just... I love just that. Af- yeah, just after the uh, hyaluronic acid, I would do a defend, for example. Um, or actually, what I've actually been doing is I would do a defend before... I uh, I put on any other thing on my face just because I want its properties to work on any problematic areas that I've been having or, like, blemishes. And then I would put on stuff. And then every other layer where I would otherwise use a face mist, I do soothe. So I think those two right now are my go-to products for when I just need that extra bit of hydration or when I need to calm my skin down. And I, I actually so love much. it. Yeah, I love it. So that's how my sort of routine now has changed. I mean, it, it was 
all the way from just using a $12 moisturizer and sort of seeing a difference to now just adding things in because it is a ritual and it is fun. Um, yeah. And, and I think, it, like, it, whenever you see your skin, right, but it just – and and it changed the more you put into it. It's, it's great. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's when it starts becoming fun um, where you actually realize that this hobby that you have is now actually giving you results. You know what I mean? Like before it used to be, let me collect all the pretty bottles. But now you're like, <laughs> it's like, wow, no, it's actually doing things. It's it's working. And so that's always a plus too, where yeah. skincare actually works. And you, you begin to quickly realize that, oh, it's not just super gimmicky or a moisturizer is not, like, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. You really have to test and try these things and see what works for you. Yeah, and I think, like, the skincare in general, the steps, the ingredients, the products, it's all very specific to you and your needs and where you live and what your skin is like and what your, like, commitment level is, right? Sometimes I'm just ready for a three-step process. Other times I could do a 12-step process, you know, all of those things. Yeah, exactly. And uh, sometimes you just want to be out the door in the morning, and so you're like, oh, never right. mind, I'm not doing the seven skin method today. I'm not putting on uh, that many layers of toner and essences. I'm just going to walk out with an SPF, a moisturizer, and that's it. Call it a day. Um, exactly. But there are then days where you really do want to, like, sort of lean into it. Uh, and like you said, just cap the end of the day with, uh, a series of rituals that, you know, just get you back, back to life. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for talking to us about um, your skincare, your journey, your kind of, like, just discovery in, in this space. I think it's really oh, cool, it's, and I think... It's been a pleasure. More. Ah, great. Well, I will talk to you very soon. There you go. Thank you for listening to Be Anomalous. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe to Be Anomalous at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. We love to hear from you. So please message us on Instagram at Anoma Cosmetics to give us recommendations of topics you would like to hear from us. Or if you are interested to be a guest on our show, or even if you just want to say hi. Don't forget to tune in next Saturday. Bye.